Um, are you painting your toenails right now? Not toes, fingers. You're painting your fingernails right now? Yeah, I don't know why. They'll get wrecked tomorrow, but I was just, um, you know, sitting in my closet looking at all my nail polish. I also think it's quite appropriate for you to be doing your nails during this podcast because I feel like nail polish back in the day was one of the first things we maybe bonded over when we first met. That's, yeah, that's accurate. Hey, Emily. Welcome to Fuck Off, I'm Reading. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. What are you reading? Um, I am reading, I'm reading two things. At night, I'm reading a collection of Mary Oliver poems. Mm. It's like the big collection called Devotions. Um, And it helps me at night to just read her lovely words and not look at the news cycle or Instagram, or anything else. We're currently a week out of the election, and it just, Mary Oliver is much better for my mental health. So I've been doing that, and then during the day, I listen to things that enrage me, like um, (laughs) this book called, (laughs) it's called um, Know My Name, and you probably don't know the author's name. Her name is um, Chanel Miller. And she was, I'm sure you do know Brock Turner's name. Yeah. And um, she was the gal in that case, the victim, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, it feels very, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to call her his victim because she's not his anything. Right. Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, how to talk about that, but yet, um, but I'm learning so much by reading her, her memoir is brave and it's beautifully written. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's amazing to really look through step-by-step step how victims are, mistreated from the very beginning. I mean, you know, from the beginning, beginning, but also as soon as anyone is involved that is supposed to be a safe person or somebody helping, um, it's just like the scrutiny and the terrible, especially with a high profile case like that online comments. And she didn't even know what had happened to her. No one told her until she was reading about it as breaking news. Literally the, yeah, they like, people were like, oh yeah, maybe we have reason to believe that perhaps you were the victim of a sexual assault. And that's all she knew. That's all she knew for weeks and weeks. And so, yeah, it's just like completely disheartening. Um, and yeah, so I'm not, I'm not very far in it, but it, um, you know, I read that during the day or I listen to that during the day she reads it. Um, narrates the book on audible. And mm-hmm. so it's really well told in her own voice. And then, um, and then I read Mary Oliver at night to Zen myself <laughs> off, off the ledge of like wanting to burn the patriarchy, but burn the yeah, patriarchy anyway, down, damn, let that shit um, burn. God. Didn't that come out? Did that come out sort of right at the beginning of me too? Do I have my time, right? Timeline that right on that? Her book or yeah. The memoir, her memoir. 
I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I got a random text from a friend that I hadn't talked to in forever who was like, thanks for posting these zucchini recipes to your Instagram story. <laughs> I made all of them. And I was like, oh, great. That's awesome. I didn't know anyone watched my Instagram story. <laughs> and then she was like, like two hours later said, have you read this book? And I said, I haven't. And she said, add it to your list. And I was like, okay. Um, so I did. And I happened to be out of books. And um, so I, I started listening to it. And I had no idea what it was about. I just went for it. And I'm glad that I did because it's, it's So good. you didn't hear about it when it came out or anything like the book. I remember, I mean, it was a big deal it when it, it came out. I remember mm-hmm. hearing about it and I feel like at the time I felt like I couldn't take any more sexual assault type. I couldn't absorb any more of that stuff. Cause I think it was like right at the beginning of me too or something. And so that's why, even though it got all kinds of attention and I'm usually a sucker for those, yeah. I, did, I didn't read it. Um, I put it like at the bottom of the list, knowing that I would want to read it, but, um, I just, I couldn't do it at the, at the time, but I probably could now. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, I mean, that's the thing, right. It's like, I don't know how many years have gone by, but it's still ever relevant as right. I mean, as it was then. And that's, that's the thing about all of those kinds of memoir like books where or memoir books that where it's like, the problem kind of reinvents itself and never goes away. It just manifests in, in different ways, um, throughout society. So, Ooh, that is such a good segue to like the main, uh, thing we're going to talk about today, but we're not ready to talk about it yet. Too bad. Oh yeah. What are you reading? Um, so I'm actually just finished reading these two books by Britt Bennett. And, um, I'm not even sure. Have you heard about her? I haven't, I'm not even sure what, how I ended up, um, picking them up, but I think it's probably because she, um, one of them was, was nominated for, a, a um, an award and I'm a sucker for an award winner. So I'm guessing that's probably how they landed on my radar. So I read them both back to back, just like boom, boom. And I honestly don't even remember which one I read first. Um, but I love them. And, uh, so one is called the mothers and that was her first one. Um, and it was published in 2016. And then the second one is called the banishing half. And that's the one that got the, um, nominations. I read and, that. It was great. Oh, you did. Yeah, did you I read, did. Did you read the mothers too? I didn't. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk, I want to talk about them both because even though the stories are totally different, they, um, I consume them so close together and they have the same, so such the same sort of, I don't know, vibe or feel or tone or something that um, I was just sort of really struck by their two totally different books, but they felt like the same book to me, even though they're totally not. Um, Anyway, so the mothers and the vanishing half. And so the mothers was the first one. And um, I don't even I'm trying to think about like why I liked it so much. And I was sort of struggling about, about that, but then actually what sort of helped me put it together was this podcast I was listening to. And I can't remember if I mentioned this podcast to you, it's called um, no stupid questions. Yeah. Yeah. You did the other day. Yeah. And so anyway, I love, I haven't listened to it. 
it's, it's like, I don't know. I love it. It's the Freakonomics guy and this psychologist at UPenn named Angela Duckworth. And um, they're just funny. They talk about this random stuff and they're just funny, but they're also like super smart. They're both really smart. Anyway, um, they were just talking the other day about why you don't remember more of what you read. And I mean, this happens to me when I'm going through my Goodreads list and I'm reading, yeah. I'm looking at like my, what I read and I'm like, huh, oh, that's on my re- have read list. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> you know, I just don't necessarily remember it all the time. And then I think, oh my God, like I need to pay more attention. What is wrong with me? Um, but anyway, so just the other day on those stupid questions, they were, that was like one of their topics. Like, how come we don't remember all the things that we read? And Angela Duckworth told this story about how she, um, um, she remembers that as a kid, she loved that book, uh, A Rose Grows in Brooklyn. No, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Did yeah, you read that? I did. Yeah. Um, Betty Smith, 1943. And, but that she has no idea what it's about and she can't remember why she loved it or what she loved about it. She just says she has this very strong sense of like really loving that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said that to you the other day when I couldn't remember the Augusta Bur- Augustin Burroughs book, uh, oh, yeah. at the table. And I was like, right. I know that I read it and I have fond memories of it, but I don't, I can't give you a plot line. It was years and years and years ago. Like I have no idea what it was about, but I liked it. (laughs) Yeah. So what they ended up saying was, and what Angela Duckworth, who's like a PhD psychology smarty pants said was that it's because it's basically based on an old adage that is probably a quote from somebody, but right now, now I think it's just kind of common knowledge about how you don't necessarily remember, um, what somebody does or what somebody says, but you remember how they made you feel. Yeah, totally. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So she was making that case that, that just because she doesn't remember necessarily the story, she remembers how it made her feel. And that was like the most important part of, of it. And I've heard that yeah. before, not necessarily with what, with books and why you remember them or not, but I've heard that before with teaching. Yeah. Um, with, yeah, exactly. With, with little kids, kids, you know, mm-hmm, um, totally back in the day in our ancient history, when we were teachers. Um, yeah. but I've heard them, I've I heard that theory that students might not remember much of what you taught them, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And, um, you know, having oh, I like teacher, the idea of applying that to books. That's really yeah. makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Right. I know. Doesn't it? I totally buy that. I yeah, that's exactly right. Me I'm too. About that. Anyway. So back to my books, I think that's why I like these books so much is because, I mean, the stories are great and, um, the characters are fabulous, which all my, all my best reads have amazing characters. Um, sure. but I, um, I think they just really had a strong tone and they, they were so, um, I get, I don't want to say necessarily raw in the emotion, but very, um, introspective and especially the vanishing half. It was so well, I mean, they both were actually, the characters were so, um, introspective and, um, they just seemed so real. Like they said, you know, there was these people in these hard situations and they made hard decisions and they were just so honest and real. I mean, it was all like in their head, you know, their own narration. Um, but I still recognized it, you know, the whole, how these people could be, um, you know, do terrible things maybe, but you, you also are very sympathetic because what they're telling you is just so like, um, viscerally human, like just like this whole collective humanity thing that everybody is sort of good and evil and all things at once. And, yeah. 
it doesn't really make, it doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. It just happens to be what it is. Yeah. That, that, that book had many, many layers. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Anyway, I loved it. It was very, I just felt like it was very human and I'm always a sucker for those like really introspective character driven, you know, wrestling with your internal demon type things. I'm a sucker for that stuff. Um, so I loved it. Um, well, I love them both. So Brit Bennett. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was yep. just reading. Good. Very good. So you should read the mothers. Okay. I will. It's, it's also very good. I want to know what you think about like the similarity. Okay. Yeah. I'll read it while, um, while vanishing half is fresh in my mind. So I don't forget. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. I think I'm excited to see what she, um, what she writes next and both of those are her first two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've both already been, one has been the mothers has been signed up for a film adaptation and the vanishing half for her. Um, the rights to the vanishing half were, were, uh, acquired by HBO. Oh, dang. I know. Oh, so anyway, five stars all around. Good for her. Know, That's great. I know she killed it. Knocked it out of the freaking park. The deep dive I want to do today is about another book I just finished reading for my book group. And um, it's everyone, I'm sure anybody in the book world has heard of it. It's called American Dirt by Janine Cummins. And it got Mm -hmm. such a huge, I mean, there's just been a huge uproar controversy about this book. Yeah, blowback. Oh my God, insane on so many levels. Um, And so- I mean, you could go, there's so much content about this and it's so layered. There's so much of it. A person can go on re- online and read forever about this. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just listen for a few minutes. I'll tell you all about it because <laughs> that's what I've been yeah. reading about. <laughs> it's the controversy. Well, so I will say too, I read this, um, I read this book, but I read it in January of 2020 and um, this is before it was even, so I, okay. I didn't read it before it was released. I read, <laughs> um, we're I not read, those fancy, we're not those fancy no, book podcasters no, no, no. who get the pre-release copies. And I listen God, to those no. other book podcasts and they're like, Oh, I got a preprint from the publisher. And I'm like, Oh, uh, good for you. <laughs> no. So real simple magazine, which is one of the few magazines I subscribe to, they have a, um, they always recommend five books in the front of real simple. And it's like, you know, like a beach read, a book club read, a memoir, a true, like a nonfiction, and then a novel, whatever. And so I always read those and kind of like, usually there's, they have a little synopsis. So American Dirt was in Real Simple Mag. I mean, it could be looked up, but it must've been like November, December. And it said, like, I like read it and I like immediately picked up my phone. I read the synopsis and picked up my phone. And I was like, oh, I totally want to read this based off of the like one paragraph in, in the magazine. And when I went to download it, it was only for, um, for like, what, what is it where you, like you pay the credit and then when you it's released, it? they, yeah. You okay. Pre-order. It was only for pre-order. So I pre-ordered it on audible. And as soon as it was available, it was populated and I downloaded it and listened to it. And I happen to be like, I'm typically kind of a binger on books and I listened to it in like three days. So I happened to like, I listened to the whole book before I even knew 
about the about the controversy. So I kind mm-hmm. of got a clean read on the book, no pun intended there, before I heard about any of this. And I was in the car on the way home from somewhere with my husband back when, you know, it was in January, so we could go places. And um, we were listening to NPR and they started talking about the book and the mm-hmm. controversy. And I was like, oh, wait, I haven't finished it. I have like, <laughs> you know, 10 pages left, like shut it off. And Adam was like, Adam's not a reader. This is my husband. He was like, oh, you haven't heard about this? It's all over the news. And I was like, what? So anyway, that's how I got introduced to the book. Like, and so it's interesting. I'll, I'll be interesting to see how you read it, at, like, because I got it at face value, you know, without knowing that people were going, well, I mean, in hindsight, it's obvious, but at the time I was just reading it clean. Right. So, so I anyway, did the ex opposite. Of you that. did the, the exact opposite of that. Yeah. So I heard, I mean, I heard about it when it came out and I heard there was a controversy, but I didn't really pay that much attention to it because I thought it was nonfiction. And so when I just heard a snippet of the controversy, I was like, well, yeah, of course there's a controversy. It's nonfiction. Like, duh. But then it ended up on my, and then like, I didn't even really think about it. I mean, I saw all the hype, blah, blah, but I just, didn't, I just, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't into it. And then it ended up on my book group list. And so um, it was on the book group list. And we were talking about it, like the book group before we were supposed to read it. And someone said something about it being fiction. And I was like, it's not fiction. And they're like, yeah, it's fiction. And so <laughs> then I had a whole different, like, what? And so then of course I had to figure out what the deal was because it's, if it was fiction, then I was like, I don't get it. I don't get the, I don't get it. So I, before I even cracked it, I took a deep dive into read everything there was to find out about Mm -hmm. it um, and see what the deal was. And then, then I read it. And I mean, there's no way to know if all the things I picked up on when I read it, I would have picked up on, had I not read the controversy first, I would probably say no. Right. I wouldn't have because yeah. just, you know, as a cold read, it's a super compelling story. It's like action packed and the characters are sympathetic and it's like, right. oh my God, this adventure and it goes on and on and it's like, rah. Right. So, so like when you're reading it without knowing all that controversy, you're like, wow, this is super compelling. But like all of those things that you just said are what makes it problematic too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when yeah. I first, I, when I first read the controversy part, you know, the first thing is, well, here's this lady who is not a Mexican immigrant telling a story about Mexican immigrants. So that's like, you know, on the surface level, okay, that's, that's the problem. Um, And so everybody's all up in arms about it. Um, And like I said, there's so much stuff out there about the controversy and um, the very first article um, that came out, (laughs) like totally like, panning it um, was on this blog called the tropics of meta and it's written by this gal named Miriam Gerba and she is super feisty and hilarious and she just wrote this scathing scathing um, review of the book before it was out um, oh. and I forget the magazine that they gave her an advanced copy um, to do the <laughs> review and I forget the magazine that was supposed to publish it but anyway they pulled out they didn't, they wouldn't publish her thing, <laughs> even oh. though I read, I thought it was great. Um, anyway, it's called, I'm going to totally mess up the pronunciation. Cause it's like in, there's like a couple of Spanish words in there, but it's pendeja. You ain't Steinbeck, my Bronco with fake ass social justice literature. 
Oh my gosh. In my really rudimentary translation, that means bitch, you ain't Steinbeck. My problem with fake ass social justice literature. And she just, she just goes for it. And like, um, and she, and she says the U S you ain't Steinbeck thing because another reviewer had called that book, um, like the grapes of wrath of our wrath of our time. Yeah. Yeah, And I feel like that's what, something along those lines were in, you know, the little blurb in the magazine that I was reading and which the magazine is targeted to people like to my demographic. And so is this book. Like that's not lost on me. Like I'm, you know, pretty aware of self-aware of that. Like I Mm -hmm. get it that it was, Mm -hmm. I'm the target audience. here. (laughs) Damn it. It sucks when that's your realization. It's it's true. But I mean, still it's, you know, it's better than not realizing yeah. it at all. Anyway, yeah, okay. so she wrote the scathing <laughs> article and it's a big controversy about who gets to write the story. Um, and so it just went straight up like explosive, this huge controversy. Everybody's talking about it. Her book tour was canceled. They say there were some like threats of violence, but I couldn't really verify if that was true or not. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. But anyway, it was a big old fucking deal. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, Anyway, and then the other thing she says is that um, the book is trauma porn that wears a social justice fig leaf. And so then I had to look up trauma porn because I was like, well, what is trauma porn? So I look up trauma porn. Which makes you nervous to Google that anyway. Right. Because, of course, Google knows that I'm looking at porn. And I I probably did it at work. So it probably flagged the IT people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to get fired soon. Anyway. Um, so I look up trauma porn and, um, I'm like, okay, well, hmm, you know, okay, now I know what that is, blah, 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 check. Um, anyway. And so I will say though, when I was reading it and granted I had trauma porn in my head, but I was like, I kind of think I did. I kind of feel like I see where that came from. You know, I mean, the journey is so long and hard and, the last couple of tragedies that befall this group are like, oh my God, like, no, I can't take it. Like, oh, it's already so horrible. So, so, so horrible. And then it just gets a, just a little bit more. It's like, oh God, did you really have to go there? So yeah, mm, I, mm, I feel like that. Um, but on the other hand, so I'm trying to think like, okay, that's trauma porn. Okay. But on the other hand, I did feel like it really gave me a better um, more empathetic view of, um, the journey that people go on. And, um, when you hear, for me, at least when I hear, you know, you can hear statistics and this and that about stuff. But when I hear, even if it's fictionalized, you know, a story about a person who actually is doing this in their inner life and the details of that particular situation, it's just so much more, um, just hits me in the heart immediately so much more than like facts, you know, like this many people or blah, 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 blah. Like that's terrible. But then you hear like one person's story or two person's story and you're like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, there's a word for that where it's like the stats and everything. It's really easy to, Oh my gosh, I wish I could. We need Monica Padman at the end to fact check this to like, tell me (laughs) what the word I'm looking for is. We can do our own fact check. Yeah. There's like a thing. Um, it's a thing where you are way more sympathetic when you hear one or two, that's like, you know, political, you know, candidates Mm -hmm. always do the, like the man who I talked to the veteran who blah, 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 you know, from Ohio, whose son went to the Iraq war three times and blah, blah, Uh blah. (laughs) There's a word for that. 
I uh, I can't remember. All right. Well, we'll anyway, think about that for next We'll time. think I'll about it. Notes. Sorry. Noted. Okay. We'll out Noted. Note. Okay. Anyway, so that's the first issue. She's not a Mexican immigrant writing a story about Mexican immigrants. I will say, and I also found out that she did a boatload of research before she did it. So it's not like she was yeah. just flippantly like going off on it, like years, like years worth of um, research. And I did read one uh, review that said that, you know, I mean, the biggest the biggest hitch that I read that people thought were about the characters is she got the characters wrong. They weren't realistic. Um, and the, you know, there were, this was not a real portrayal of what a Mexican drug lord is like. This is not a real portrayal of what a you know Mexican woman's life is like. Um, but they did say that she got a lot of her setting stuff, right. Like her geography. Right. Um, so I feel like that gives her a little, I mean, a little bit more credibility and that she didn't just like wing it. Yeah. She wasn't just making up the most horrible thing that she could think of. And like, right. Well, I mean, like even one of those things happening to somebody is like enough to write a book about. Um, but you know, yeah. I mean, obviously why not amplify somebody's voice who that is their lived experience instead of making it into fiction and packing it all into one like action movie that's going to like be a bestseller. And I'm using air quotes around that. Like that's the other issue, right? Yeah. And then the other thing I felt like, you know, it was worth noting is that she um, even said, um, Cummins said that she thought long and hard about whether she should write this book because she knew that these were going to be issues. It's not like she didn't, it's not like they caught her off guard or she was like, what, this is a problem. She totally knew it. And um, one quote I read, she, that she said, um, I wish somebody else would write it you know, like somebody browner than me would write this story. And so, I don't know, I think it does say something that she felt um, so compelled to write it that she was willing to take the risk um, and the criticism, deal with the criticism, all that, um, for what it's worth. I, it's worth yeah. mentioning, I think, that she I was mean, aware her of book it. book advance was probably also a factor. <laughs> well, that's a good <laughs> I mean, she got really well paid to, to write this book. Oh, or I ridiculous remember. advance. Huge ridiculous advance. advance. So she yeah. was probably like, well, okay, I guess I'll be the one to take one for the team here. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but so what I did was sort of look about, look at, because really, I mean, I started thinking about fiction and it being, um, I mean, it's all fake. I mean, it's all grounded in truth, but it's fiction, right? It's not true. And people are writing from other people's perspectives all the time. So, mm-hmm. and so then I'm thinking, well, I mean, John Steinbeck was not an Okie from Oklahoma migrating to California. He was a Stanford right. educated Californian and I'm not a Steinbeck mm-hmm. expert, but I don't recall there being any uh, controversy about that. Um, and then I'm thinking, well, men write in from a woman's perspective all the time and women write from men's perspective all the time. And I don't really mm-hmm. hear anything about that. And so I did a little research on that. I, and, um, and there's a lot of talk about it, but I do have, um, this author, um, Lionel Shriver. She's a pretty well-known author and a journalist and pretty outspoken in these types of issues. I actually haven't ever read anything she's written. I probably should. Um, but she mm-hmm. says, if we have permission to write, only about our own personal experience. There is no fiction, but only memoir. And fiction writing by its nature demands that writers step into shoes that are not theirs. They inhabit identities that do not belong to them. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, and I agree with that quote. I think that part of the issue around this book was the timing. And, you know, this is coming right after the very anti- 
migrant campaign that um, Donald Trump had just run and his like thing about the like caravans of migrants like coming toward the border. Oh, I know. All of that BS was happening. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that that narrative being such a hot topic at the time and this book coming out on the heels of that to a lot of people probably felt very like, oh, isn't it good timing for you to write this book? You know, Mm -hmm. um, which, which I get instead of like, instead of amplifying, you know, people who did have this lived experience, like I am sure that you could go out and find memoirs of people who were actual migrants and, Mm -hmm. you know, give them a six figure advance and publish their book and get it the circulation in fricking Barnes and Noble and the front of Costco, you know, I mean, like that's, that's the issue, right. Is that a lot of the authors that are in mainstream are, you know, white people. Right. So they say, you know, you know, once they say, all right, well, you, you have to concede somewhat that it's true. Fiction is, you know, you ha- that's what that's what fiction is, as you get in sure. the shoes of somebody else. You write from a different perspective. That's what fiction yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's also the point about how well you do it. And I think it probably matters how marginalized the subject is. Um, and, you know, that makes it a little bit more touchy. But um, the um, one quote I read said that um, this uh, this writer, Leon Crowes, in a, in a Slate article said, it didn't matter that Cummins isn't Mexican, but it does matter that her protagonist is not representative of real immigrants, that her antagonist is not representative of a real Mexican drug lord. The problem being that the characters are not those whom actual immigrants could ever relate to. So basically like saying, fine, you know, if you're going to do that, fine, but at least do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Make it seem, you know, do it justice. And um, it seems like, the consensus is that this didn't do that. Um, yeah. And so then, so there's that issue. And then back to what you were saying, this was the book. I'm certain I should, I guess I should have done more research on that, but I'm sure there are other options for memoirs about that experience to be published. Right. And so then we get back to why was that the book chosen? Right. Why Which did they choose it? Is one of those things. Like when I was talking earlier about how, Um, the book that I'm currently reading, Know My Name, is old, yet that conversation is still completely relevant. Like, this has also been a conversation that's been happening for a long time. The, you know, I I don't know if I want to call her work necessarily cultural appropriation. I'm not really sure what other word, I guess, um, trauma porn or whatever, like no, those I think kinds cultural of like, appropriation is appropriate also. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that using. that kind of thing and like people who aren't of that culture making money and exploiting that culture for their own personal gain, like that's a, that's something that has been an issue for, I mean, is current, has been an issue for a really long time. And then also like who put, who picks the books and publishes the books that are picked that become the New York times bestsellers, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. another conversation. Like all of these things are wrapped up in this book, but it could be said for, I don't want to totally say that that those are all issues with this book only, but those are all issues that so many books have. Right. 
And so when you get overwhelmed by all the issues and then you're like, God, what, what am I supposed to do with it? And they say, well, it's publishing's fault. It's publishing because publishers are white and the publishing houses are run by white people. And so they are going to pick books for that audience. And then you say, well, well, why is everyone in publishing white? And I didn't know. Um, so I read this article in Vox and it talked about how publishing the way that the, the way that the industry is structured in order to get into publishing, you have to start as an unpaid intern or a super mm-hmm. low level, somebody who makes zero money. And all, most publishing is in New York city where it's super expensive. And so the people who can afford to do an unpaid internship internship or start working in New York city, <laughs> in New York city have to be the people whose parents paid for them to go to college. They don't have student loans and their mm-hmm. parents are maybe paying for, you know what I mean? Like they've got other means. They don't have to necessarily worry about money so they can do that. So it's just like an industry that's completely built on privilege. And then that just perpetuated all the, perpetuates it all the way through. Yes. So when you get to how do you fix that? I don't know. I don't know how you fix that, but it's yeah. fucked up. Um, and then to your second point, what you were saying about how the same thing with um, the other book you talked about, Know My Name, right? Did they get that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like this is the same, a similar situation as that in that this is not a new issue. I mean, the timing was certainly relevant on this one because of that ridiculous, like, trumped up issue. Oof, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah, the the, um, the, the fake scare ta- tactic. BS. Yes, right. But it's so, I mean, it was an, already an issue. It's not like this book caused the issue. This book didn't like make the issue worse or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so I think, well, maybe it's really not about that. It's not really about this book. But then I think, well, but this book, you know, based on what, you know, the critics say about it is perpetuating, perpetuating the problem. problem. And so yeah. then it is sort of about this book. Mm-hmm. And so just like anything else that I try to like deep dive into to get my head around and get some solid (laughs) answers, what happens is I end up with way more questions. (laughs) Yeah. And my final answer on the story of the American Dirt controversy is it's complicated. It's totally complicated. (laughs) Yeah. And it's complicated. And if you read it at face value, like I did in January, you know, it's a compelling, like page turner of a story. And then you realize like, oh, wow. Um, wait a second. I just, you know, essentially watched a blockbuster film, which is also, you know, produced and dominated. It's like 98% white guys who pick what movies are made. And then you're like, damn it. You know, it's going to fact check that. that My whole it's in white fragility. I have the list. I, I will um, show it to you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm not saying I doubted you. I just, I was impressed that you were brave enough to pop off with a 98%. Very specific. Dude, well done. I, okay. Monica, you can fact check me, but <laughs> I will pull it out of my book. We'll put it um, in the episode notes. How about that? We'll put it in the episode notes. <laughs> I like it, but it's true. It's true. And think about how many people read that book like you did just like blank slate, but then did never hear about the controversy or didn't pay attention to the controversy or weren't nerdy enough as we were to like dive into it and try and figure the whole thing out because probably most people didn't. Right. And so if you read it as like face value, um, uh, and it makes you more sympathetic to the plight of migrants. Like, is that a win? I want to say, like, part of me wants to say maybe, like, maybe if I'm, you know, 
somebody who isn't and it like sways me in a direction to be more sympathetic, maybe, but then it also feeds, fills your brain with all of these like horrible misconceptions about what that journey might be and who these people are, which are not true. And so it's like, actually, no, that's not a win. Because like you said, it's not well done. Right. But it's it's just fiction that makes you feel better, which is like some, yeah, fake social justice. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What did, um, what did Gupta say? Like trauma porn that wears a social justice fig leaf. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) what it was. I I think that she's like, that's nail on the head. I know. That's what I'm going to go with my synopsis. I really enjoy, I enjoyed the book and I also enjoy learning about the book. And, and even though I, it brings up more questions than answers, it was definitely still a worthy deep dive. And um, yeah, totally. That's what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, let's do this again soon. All right. Um, have a good night. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.